The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined by ex-investment banker Simon Dixon. He wrote the first published book to mention Bitcoin called Bank to the Future in 2011, I believe, and is co-founder of Bank to the Future, the largest global online investment platform, which has seen over 850 million invested in fintech and Bitcoin companies, which you can visit at bnktothefuture.com. He also hosts two excellent weekly shows on his YouTube channel. We'll be talking the new Great Depression we find ourselves in, the coming monetary reset, and new Bretton Woods, among other topics, as well as uh, some tips on how to survive. So how are you doing this afternoon, Simon? Uh, really good. Thanks for having me. Sure. Now, um, I, I first discovered you through some of you, the interviews you've, you've given to Max Kaiser and elsewhere. And it's, uh, I would highly recommend, again, to listeners, your YouTube channel and, and your material, which we'll talk about at the end. Uh, it's very informative. Um, and I, I didn't want to waste time on explaining the fact that we are in the midst, I believe, of a new Great Depression. Uh, listeners should know this by now, but uh, perhaps I could just start by getting your take on how bad you think it's going to get. Uh, because as bad as the economy was before COVID-19, the lockdowns have done to the global economy, I think, the equivalent of what World War III could have done. And, you know, we've heard reports, the IMF saying that this is going to be worse than the 1929 Great Depression, that it hasn't been this bad since 1870. Uh, I think it's going to be a financial collapse that perhaps we have not seen in centuries. So how bad do you think things are going to get? Well, um, the the answer to that is 100% politics, um, because we find ourselves in a very unique scenario that we weren't in in the 1930s, um, that the governments and politicians tried to get us into the 1930s, but they didn't succeed. Um, and uh, in 2011, I uploaded a video to YouTube called The Great Depression of the 2020s. Um, and in that video, I was talking about the different economic trends and the, the fact that we're at the end of a debt cycle. Um, and because in 2008, they used financial engineering to rehypothecate the debt cycle rather than fix the problems with our monetary system, um, this is the one where politicians will have to um, chuck everything uh, because they've lost all their monetary tools. Um, they've lost all their fiscal tools. Um, and now the only way to get your way out of this one is to have a redesign of the monetary system altogether. Um, so in answering the question, um, we could have deflation, we could have inflation, we could have growth um, and another rehypothecated Ponzi scheme, or we could have um, you know, a depression followed by, well, a recession followed by a depression. Um, I personally believe that we're in the Great Depression of the 2020s. The challenge with today's market is that um, the economic reality is not reflected in the market because all of these tools through quantitative easing um, has driven record wealth inequality. Um, but the reason that there's record wealth inequality is because um, the quantitative easing money is being used to prop up the assets of those who own assets. Um, and because of that, um, the market is not a reflection of the economics. And so really, if you look at all the political situation globally right now, it's around um, who's going to give the most stimulus. Um, and so stimulus is, you know, the central bank taking the other side of all markets, not allowing it to crash. And therefore, it's a function of can they rehypothecate? And the answer is yes. But in the process of rehypothecating, we're going to have all sorts of innovations like central bank digital currencies that take away 
all of our freedoms, liberties, and privacies. Um, so they could fix the economy. Fiat money is broken. It's a debt-based Ponzi scheme. Um, but in doing that process, we move towards a more socialist and eventually communist style in its infinite way of organizing the economy. Yeah, I, I wanted to get to that. And a number of experts that, that I've spoken to have confirmed what you said. Tuomas Malinen, the Finnish economist we've spoken to, uh, I think Mark Friedrich, the best-selling German economist, uh, and others. Uh, but then talking about this transition, you know, the dollar as a world reserve seems to be declining and the digital yuan has the real possibility of leapfrogging, let's say. Uh, and um, what I really like about your analysis is that it's honest. You say that we don't know what the outcome will exactly be like because it's politics, right? And as opposed to many experts, you know, who, who cling to one theory or idea. Uh, and of course, this shows uh, in your smart suggestion to prepare for a diverse array of scenarios. And so uh, we can hear already central banks, uh, nations and international organizations talking about this new Bretton Woods, namely the IMF recently, uh, and there was always this dream by the globalists, let's say, since the original Bretton Woods to have a single global currency emitted by the IMF, such as uh, Keynes uh, Bancor. And today we have the SDR. Uh, and as you say, I think one thing I think we, we can know for sure is that whatever it is going to be, it's going to be digital. And, and so uh, what do you think the new Bretton Woods setup could possibly uh, look like? Yeah, so um, taking a quick step back, the reason that... Um this election was so heated is obviously because of the health crisis. Um, but actually, this um, election in the United States um, was actually voting for something that no one knew they were voting for. Um, and that was who is going to negotiate the future of the dollar and the monetary system. Um, because globally, um, every government in the world has had to chuck everything that they can at this health crisis. Um, and because of that, um, they've, you know, taken away all of their traditional tools for for stimulating and and organizing an economy, um, and so the IMF comes along and says, well, this is a Bretton Woods two moment, which was, you know, uh, coming out of the war in 1944, they had the opportunity to redesign money in in with the goals of coming out of the post-war environment. Um, well, we I believe that we're going to enter into a similar kind of negotiation. Um, you know, the, the dollar, the geopolitical situation between America and China um, has reached, you know, the, the stage now where there are currency wars, there are trade wars. Um, one country, you know, China particularly, has all of these financial products that they've invested in the US. Um, and the US believes that China was responsible for um, screwing up their economy and leading to lockdowns. And so these geopolitical tensions can lead to, you know, financial weapons of mass destruction being used in order to try and renegotiate who's going to continue and be the future. Now, China on one side has been completely empire building. You know, China was um, using tech wars to invest in 5G, um, which is, um, you know, the future of the Internet. Um, America's five years behind that and China's deploying that around the world. China has been investing in African nations and Asian nations, um, and you know, investing in their infrastructure, um, which is the process of empire building. At the same time, they've been uh, trying to get ahead while America has been um, making it really difficult for um, you know the the technical industry to implement financial innovation, being resistant to things like said digital currencies and all sorts. 
Um, China has just plowed along and slowly made cash almost completely illegal in their country through WeChat, um, and at the same time implemented a central bank-controlled digital currency uh, because they know that the future is controlled through technology. Um, and so China has all um, done everything. They've also been accumulating as much gold as they can get their hands on um, and not really transparently disclosing how much gold they actually, they've accumulated. Uh, so we have this um, geopolitical tension. Um, I do believe that everyone, or the IMF at Bretton Woods too, is going to try and create, similar to what Facebook tried to create, which was uh, with the Libra project, they were trying to create a digital currency that's backed by a basket of currencies um, so that you can have coordinated um, you know, uh, governments and members um, trying to, you know, you, you've got the China camp, which is trying to circumvent the US dollar, and they're rallying the sanctioned countries in order to do that. Um, and then you have the, the IMF and the US camp, um, which will look to, you know, put together their allies. Um, and we enter into this big currency war situation. Uh, and then you have politically neutral currencies like Bitcoin. Um, so th this is where I think we're headed. And what happens from those, as I said, brings me back to the original thesis, is that traditionally, um, you know, you talk about, uh, you've had guests like Peter Schiff. You know, Peter Schiff would recommend the dollar's going to crash, but he's been saying, and Bitcoin's going to uh, a scam. And he's been saying that for a decade now, and the dollar hasn't crashed. Um, you know, it might in purchasing power, um, but betting against the Federal Reserve and their financial ingenuity is, um, can make you go broke in the process. Um, and it might get the right bet in the end. But so I think about the US being able to continue their situation. What does a portfolio look like? Um, every single fiat currency in history has failed. The US dollar will fail. So gold is, is the traditional bet when you're having a transition in terms of empire and currency. Um, but then you need a portfolio that completely operates outside of the, the financial system, which is why Bitcoin is reaching all time highs now. And we've got record levels of corporations trying to protect their balance sheets, um, billionaires trying to protect through their family offices, um, and next, governments that want to use Bitcoin as a tool to gain more power in currency wars ahead. So I think these are the three areas that investors need to look at. And you mentioned the, the health crisis, and I was just uh, curious because, you know, we've known for a long time the financial crash and monetary reset uh, has been coming. And then, you know, all of a sudden COVID-19 pops up accompanied by Klaus Schwab and companies, you know, a great reset. So, you know, you've had the IMF call for the new Bretton Woods uh, two or new Bretton Woods moment simultaneously uh, as the World Economic Forum's call for the great reset. I mean, do you see those two, two uh, things uh, as the same? Um, so I think they're com they they could be similar agendas. They could also end up competing agendas um, because one one person or one organization or one group of uh, cartel will want to control the currency that allows for the great reset to happen. Um, and so the great reset is um, this 1984 Orwellian style um, economy that we move to um, when we officially you know say that. Um, we move, you know, at the moment, if you look at the trends, China looks more like America every day and America looks more like China every day. Um, that's where we are. Um, and because all the capitalist countries are moving towards socialism and all the communist countries are moving towards socialism, and then you converge in this middle of this hybrid way of organizing um, the economy that has more and more government intervention, 
Well, the way that you kind of get rid of um, free market money um, is the removal of things like fractional reserve banking. And while fractional reserve banking is a a, a crony capitalist Ponzi scheme uh, whereby banks create digital currency um, every time they issue a loan, and therefore you have to have increasing levels of debt in order to have an economy, um, eventually, that system can lead to insolvency in the banking system um, because you have to take more and more risks and the insurance schemes that back our deposits only back about 1%. So you know, if you're looking at something like FDIC, it does not factor in more than one bank going through systemic trouble at the same time. That's why in the last financial crisis, you have bailouts rather than taking those bank insurance and allowing the banks to go bust. Um, In this one, I think that you have um, these competing agendas that can be also merged. Um, Now, the issuance, what what is a central bank digital currency useful? Well, it's most useful in a highly technology-driven economy. Um, You know, what could you do with a central bank digital currency? Well, you can automate negative interest rates to discourage savings. Um, You can automate tax collection so that global governments are the part of, um, you know, the global currency can all have agreements in how they divvy up those automated tax collection when we transact through the digital currency. Um, You can do helicopter money very easily. So you can allow a bank to go bust. Uh, They don't need to bail in. They don't need to bail out. You can just let the bank go bust and say, well, if a bank goes bust, download this app. And if you had $10,000 with Chase, you've now got $10,000 of the central bank digital currency. That's non-inflationary money. It's actually a deleveraging money. You're not introducing new money. You're just destroying one form of money when a bank goes bust, replacing it with a new form of money, um, and taking out the debt in there because you're issuing it direct. Um, And so this really merges upon the central bank and treasuries globally around the world becoming one balance sheet, um, which is why the the new phrase that I talked about in the book, uh, Bank to the Future, many a decade ago, um, is modern monetary theory. Um, And that is where money gets injected directly into the, the the monetary policy and the fiscal policy come together um, where it all becomes one. Um, and so a central bank digital currency, you could do that on the country level. Um, and it all depends on the two big wars that are going to be fought is privacy versus um, the removal of privacy um, and you know uh, protectionism versus globalism. The IMF agenda is globalism, um, but the countries could also like... Um, you know, in America, they were, you know, it was pushing for more protectionism. And as a result of, you know, this uh, COVID situation, people are saying, well, we need to become less dependent upon other countries. Um, and so these are the big wars that are going to be fought ahead. And, you you know, these these global resets um, could be used on the, the individual um, country level or the central bank digital currency could also be used at the global level. Uh, before going further uh, along the line of of you know the the C- how bad things can get with CBDCs or how good things can get with uh, cryptos, you mentioned war. Just a final thought on the the dynamic between Russia, China. You know the empire U.S. empire declining, China rising. Um, do you do you feel that if there's an agreement with this new Bretton Woods or or, or great reset or things kind of work out there that um, you know the 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 Thucydides trap. Uh, can be avoided, or that um, you know we we could see a, a military conflict between these countries, or, or you think uh, things could ha- get hammered yeah. out peacefully? 
Um, anything can happen. I don't think it will be peaceful, but I don't think it will involve bombs. Um, I think we'll continue using financial weapons of mass destruction um, rather than actual bombing countries. Um, because there are so many tools that you can use in these currency wars, in these trade wars, in these tech wars. And I think it will continue along those lines. Um, it would be, you know, we, we are in a nuclear age. So everybody knows that uh, if you entered into some kind of war between superpowers, then the end result is nuclear warfare, which is bad for everybody. Um, you know, so I, I do think that we're going to be using um, financial tools um, to actually win World War Three as a new empire prevails. Or, or uh, as you said, biological uh, warfare. Uh, just finishing the thought on the CBDCs, you know, many experts such as uh, Richard Werner, who's, who's one of my favorites, uh, say that CBDCs could eliminate um, banks and create this totalitarian cashless uh, system. I know here in Mexico, they've already proposed to get rid of the thousand peso notes as well as the 500 peso notes. Uh, and, you know, what happens if the future turns out to be more like this dystopian science fiction uh, technocracy complete with a, you know, Chinese style social credit score where access to your account could actually be, be shut down based on your uh, reputation? You know, something like in Black Mirror or 1984 scenario. Have you done a thought experiment um, on this kind of future? And, and you know, how how would we then... What, 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 how could we function in this type of system then? Yeah, well, um, I, I, I don't even, I, I would go as far as say that's inevitable. Just look at the trends. Um, I wouldn't even say that's a thought experiment. That is the future of fiat currency. Um, fiat currency is all about um, command and control. Um, and when you implement technology into that, and it's infinite with the government goals of, you know, it, it, it really, it was, um, you know, it started with 9-11 when you had anti-money laundering. Um, then it moved to, um, you know, the, this health crisis now is the next one and the financial crisis. And in, gradually, slowly and slowly, you remove what makes up a free society um, in, you know, in the name of, you know, tackling some of these big, big challenges that the world throws at us. So what's everyone doing now? Well, you know, the next thing we're all opting for is the complete removal of privacy. Um, you know, we, we're not going to be able to get on a plane until we've gone through, you know, the compulsory vaccine and that's going to be connected to our currency. Um, your currency is going to be, your wallet's going to be connected to your passport, which is going to be connected to your health records. Um, and at the same time, you have this competing force, um, which is the ability to own your own money and own your own data. Um, which is why, you know, I've been looking at as an investor, I've been investing in two industries, which is, the growth of financial technology because financial technology is going to be used in this fiat world. Um, and then the growth of the peer-to-peer -peer economy. And so Bitcoin became interesting to me because it gives you the ability to own your own money, spend your own money, and have a monetary policy that doesn't require that doesn't adjust to the whims of humans. Um, and so this is where you have these, these two fringes of innovation. Um, a financial technology that's all about command and control, but has benefits. And the benefits are you get stable fiat currencies denominated in the same, um, the same store of value, as it were, that you spend in. And I'm not talking about long term, I'm talking about short term. So fiat currencies are very useful for managing your own personal financial affairs. Um, but you, you exodus all your savings out of fiat currencies because they go down in value over time. 
Um, and so that drives you to speculation. And as the financial markets are intertwined into a debt-based Ponzi scheme, um, you end up with this alternative financial industry, which is Bitcoin, um, and all the innovation that comes from that. And because that technology also happens to give you the ability to intersect and own your own data, um, then you have these two competing agendas um, that gives really consumers the choice. So there will be times when I will use that fiat uh, money for a very small of my percentage, knowing that it will all be under surveillance. Um, but there will also be times when I will look to hold my savings in what I believe to be a more uh, privacy-centric store of value um, that gives me, you know, but also Bitcoin um, has the ability to have these transactions published and shown when you need to, but still maintain um, the privacy that you need. So as, as we, we just discussed, the dystopian uh, central bank digital uh, currency world. And then so you would say then like Bitcoin and the cryptos are this like more libertarian, decentralized, utopian uh, sort of thing. And so going into the future, you see this space really growing and that space kind of uh, allowing us to um, somehow survive or get along in, in this central bank uh, well, so yeah, to try and to try and summarize it into um, something everyone can understand, fiat currency becomes communism, um, and Bitcoin becomes free market capitalism. Um, and you, rather than actually deciding, I want to live in a country um, that is, uh, you know, I want to live in China or do I want to live in America? Um, well, everybody lives in this socialist country which is where all of the trends because of debt-based Ponzi scheme take us. Um, communist countries become more socialist. Capitalist countries become more socialist. Um, but then that's your geography. In terms of your where you live in the financial world, um, you have a bit of communism, which is your fiat money, and you have a bit of free market capitalism, which is your uh, the financial system built around Bitcoin. And you opt out and you say, some of my money, my spending money is in communism. Um, and my savings are in um, capitalism, free markets. There's been a, a interesting question that listeners have have asked me to ask uh, guests uh, that I've also also wondered about. So uh, we know in the current system that that, that we have, um, we've got these you know wealthy global elites, mafias, uh, drug cartels, intelligence networks. You know that that they use cash to hide their uh, under the table or offshore wealth or to, to do their dealings. Um, and so if we go to this digital system, as they're doing things now, they wouldn't be able, um, you know, to, to f let's say, you know, the, some of the Western countries that have, let's say, f funded ISIS, right, or supported uh, questionable uh, rebels in, in, in Syria. Um, if we go digital, they, they can't give cash uh, anymore. Um, so would, like, certain cryptos, Fulfill this cash function. I mean, how would you know global elites or, or, or such folks be able to to hide uh, their assets, or w would they use some kind of altcoins to do that? How, how would that work? You think in this new world that's coming? Yeah. So Bitcoin has its challenges because it sits kind of in the middle between giving you an anonymous the ability to have as many wallets as you want, um, but any transaction you do are on a blockchain. Um, and the, the latest, you know, development change are all around privacy enhancing features. Um, but then alternative, um, cryptocurrencies were built that way in the first place, um, where they have privacy built in. So 
you get this mountain of innovation, the more, you know, the more you have um, the enforcement of not being able to earn your own money, not being able to spend your own money and having a monetary policy that dilutes your savings. Um, you get big innovation around being able to own your own money, being able to spend your own money and having a monetary policy um, in these competing cryptocurrencies. Um, now, for me, Bitcoin is our world's best shot at ever achieving sound money. Um, but alternatives um, like Ethereum are allowing people to build and innovate these decentralized financial products. And some of them are complete scams. Other of them um, are taking something that's going to be used and very useful in the future. It's at that very early innovative stage. Um, but the fact that you can do it means that people are going to get more and more innovative and more and more better at that. Um, and you have these competing forces. So for me, Bitcoin is like regulating the regulator, as it were, um, which is a very healthy force. And then if Bitcoin gets too powerful and concentrated, which inevitably everything does, you have competing cryptocurrencies that if you lose the ideology behind it and start adapting the cryptocurrency to fit in with the dystopian vision of the world, um, then you have other things that compete. Um, you can't take this innovation out. It's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not going anywhere. Um, but I do believe that Bitcoin is just statistically too hard to change at this stage. Um, and our world's best shot at ever achieving digital sound money. Um, yeah. And yeah. Um, I know you don't really do Bitcoin price forecasts, but some interesting experts such as uh, Raul Paul of Real Vision and Max Kaiser are saying the price will go to the moon, like to a quarter of a million dollars or eventually a million dollars. I would think if this were true, it, it would depict and be reflecting the absolute worst in terms of you know, the, the economic depression, which would mean the total death of uh, paper currencies. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on these calls, uh, you know, up, up to a million? Are they feasible and, and reasonable in theory? Um, they're feasible, yeah. I mean, you know, when, when I spoke at the first Bitcoin conference in the world, I never imagined it would ever get this far. Um, I've seen my $30 Bitcoin crash to $3. I've seen my $1,250 Bitcoin crash to $250. I see my $20,000 Bitcoin crash to $3,000 and now go back up to um, $20,000. I fully expect my $100,000 Bitcoin to crash to $30 um, and my $1 million Bitcoin to crash to you know, uh, $400,000. Um, you know, Bitcoin is a, is a very volatile thing. Um, the risks are pretty much known at this stage. Um, you know, we know what the risks are for the experiment fading. Um, I created a video just on that topic yesterday um, on on my YouTube channel if people are interested in the risks that people need to be aware of. Um, but you know, you've got this fixed supply that every year the desire to own your own money, spend your own money, and have a monetary policy that can't be changed becomes more and more useful to more and more people. So the reason that companies are buying Bitcoin at the moment, you know, publicly traded companies is because they know that so much money has been printed. And so they're looking for you know, the quantitative tightening rather than quantitative easing. Um, and uh, so those three use cases that Bitcoin fulfills, um, all of the trends in the traditional um, world are driving people to want to use um, and have the ability to do that. And so because 18 and a half million of them have already been created and there's only ever going to be 21 million of them, 
And now all the institutions are trying to get the, you know, the fresh Bitcoins from the miners. So they're not even hitting the market. Um, the scarcity and the rarity of this means that the only way to get it is to pay a higher price. I, I want to get your take on which way the winds are, are blowing in terms of uh, regulation, because it, it seems to me that, I mean, I don't follow this space too closely, but it seems to be positive as I, I'm starting to see countries uh, like here in Mexico, cryptos are not regulated, but now the government is starting to uh, propose laws to, to regulate and, and tax crypto so people can you know, legally purchase them and pay tax on them. And so do you see countries around the world uh, moving in this direction where it's making it then easier for people, you know, not to be afraid of in investing and then getting caught by the tax man, but things are kind of like moving towards this type of regulation. Do you see this developing like this? Yeah. So, I mean, look, I've invested in over a hundred companies in the industry. The largest ex Bitcoin exchange in Mexico is Bitso. I'm a shareholder in um, Bitso. Um, and, you know, they were driving the innovation and regulations in Mexico for the exchanges. There's an important distinction here. Um, the actual asset class itself cannot be regulated. It's incapable of being regulated other than the current regulations, which is maths and code. It's the algorithm that regulates it. Um, but then when you intersect with it and you create financial products or you give people the ability to exchange it, um, then jurisdiction by jurisdiction, that can be regulated. And the trend has been um, by a vast majority, um, you know, of all the countries that have given out opinions about where to go with Bitcoin next, about 96% of them have chosen regulating the companies that intersect with Bitcoin over an outright ban. And so only, you know, a few countries have tried bans. Um, you know, I was in Shanghai when China tried to ban, when they did ban the, the uh, cryptocurrency exchanges, not Bitcoin. Um, the cryptocurrency exchanges. And then all of the data went to Japan, um, Korea, South Korea, um, and Singapore. And so China lost out on all of the data that they would want to have collected um, by allowing people to, con to um, con you know, uh, convert their fear into crypto. And so there's a real uh, disincentive to ban uh, because if governments want to collect all the data from fear to crypto, they don't want to give that data from fiat to crypto to another country because then they don't have the records that they want in order to find out who's actually in the crypto market. And so I think that there's a global competition um, to try and regulate the onboarding and offboarding and, and do that through their country. And so that disincentivizes the ban that, that is feasible, um, but uh, would lead to, you know, some, some bad outcomes for that country. And you mentioned uh, China. There have been interesting developments regarding the Chinese uh, renminbi. We've spoken a few times with Alistair McLeod of Gold Money, which he's talked a lot about this. But you know, there was this recent creation of the Shanghai uh, Gold Exchange, which allows foreigners then to trade uh, yuan for, for gold, which is, I guess, something that can help internationalize yuan or more importantly, help China trade with other countries without the US dollar. As the Belt and Road chugs along um how do you see that you know the yuan and and this digital yuan is it going to lead the way in de-dollarization and the spreading of the gospel of you know the digital currencies um so all currencies are digital already only a tiny percentage of them are actually cash and coins 
so to me, it's not really a trend. It's just um, the difference is who issues it and who creates it. And so traditionally um, in our economies, um, you've had the banks creating the digital currency every time they issue a loan. Um, but when governments create it or central banks create it, it's the mechanism by which they create it that becomes whether you have radical change or not. Um, all currencies are digital already. Um, and so if you, you know, remove fractional reserve banking, then you get less banks creating digital money backed by debt. And you can replace that with either a central bank creating it, um, which uh, is, you know, what we've seen with QE. Um, they do it through the debt capital markets, which means the rich get richer. We've seen the inequality effects of ads as a result of that. Um, or you actually uh, do it through the government direct, which is we've seen experiments for that as well. In the American Civil War, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln authorized the issuance of the greenback, uh, which was just the issuance of the currency. Uh, that would now be digital. It would just be an app. Um, so, you know, all of these trends that we talk about, uh, they're happening. They're real. Um, they they already are underway. Um, but changing who creates it means who loses. And so, if the if if we end up with this world that we're going towards now. You can let the banks go bust, consumers don't lose their money, and you can issue it directly from the government, which takes us closer, because at least with fractional reserve banking, money creation was one step removed from the government. Now, if we move back to bringing the power back to uh, governments, um, you probably have a faster erosion of the currency um, and decrease the time cycles at which fiat currencies fail and new fiat currencies come around. Uh, because it makes it easier to abuse. All right, all right. And one of my, I guess, final uh, questions is: uh, I just recently watched your four-part uh, video series, which is uh, excellent. So that goes into more detail, uh, as well as what what you do at Bank to the Future. Uh, so maybe you can give us just kind of like a lot of people, you know, are interested. In, you know, how do I? What do I do in this environment? How do I protect myself? How do I survive? And so, I mean, what would be some? big themes uh and in those videos you talked about you know holding hard assets like precious metals gold and silver i, I guess uh, property as well and then the whole crypto uh space and so what 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 are some things uh, you could uh, recommend tips in, in terms of uh surviving and what you do at bank to the future yeah so a, a bank to the future we're a platform that allows people to invest in financial technology companies we're the longest standing company in bitcoin and we're the first ever securities business in um in the industry and you can Take a percentage of your portfolio that you want to allocate towards long-term high-risk, high-return assets, and you can invest in a portfolio of companies um, in this industry. Um, and so we've done you know, over 125 different companies, um, and uh, many of those have become multi-billion dollar unicorns, like uh, companies like Coinbase and Kraken and Bitfinex and Bitstamp and Ripple Labs and many other companies that are now household names in our industry. Um, in terms of the four-part video series, I found a lot of people were kind of, you know, jumping around to these different asset classes based upon a particular ideology. So if you listen to someone like Peter Schiff, then you end up in gold and foreign currencies and think the whole US dollar system's going to implode. Um, if you listen to, um, you know, someone like Max Kaiser, um, then you're going to be moving towards Bitcoin because the Bitcoin is the future. And why would you have anything in fiat currency? Um, if you listen to Warren Buffett, he'll tell you, you know, um, you need to be, you need to be seeking value and buy undervalued stocks and, um, all this type of stuff. So 
Um, what I wanted to do is create a fully comprehensive video series of making the case for why we're in the Great Depression of the 2020s by covering about 5,000 years of monetary history um, and helping people understand what they need to know. Um, and then the second video is on the lessons and mistakes of all these investors and how to cherry pick the bits that can work for you and also avoid some of their mistakes. Um, and then the third is how to build a retirement plan centered around um, some of the financial products that um, you would want you would want to look at um, if you were building it around preparing for inflation, deflation, uh, growth, or depression. Um, and uh, the the final video is where it's, I'm I'd take, I'm going to be taking a million dollars of my personal savings um, and building a, a retirement plan B is what I call it um, to prepare for this. So uh, that's a free uh, video series. Um, and then anyone that actually wants to build one, then there's a paid program at the end of it. And and for investing uh, and banking the future, do you have to be a certified investor? Is there a minimum amount uh, to invest in some of these companies? Yeah, so um, the minimum investment is $1,000. Um, and if you qualify to invest, it's based upon your jurisdiction. Um, so some countries will have certain restrictions, others will have different restrictions. Um, but when you actually sign up, it just walks you through a suitability test. Um, and it will let you know whether you qualify in your country uh, based upon your local um, securities laws and regulations. All right. That's definitely something to, to check out. It might be confusing for me because I have three citizenships. But uh, what, do you have any final thoughts then for us as we finish 2020 and move into this dark winter and into 2021? Any final thoughts uh, for us? Yeah, the way I always end uh, most of my, most of my uh, content is I, I do let people know that some things uh, might sound really scary, um, but today we are actually, firstly, um, what, you know, certain elements and ingredients of what we have today are unique. But if you look back in history, nothing's unique. Um, we have been in these situations, they just look slightly different. It wasn't technology driven, it was just a slightly different flavor. Um, and we get through that. Um, and the reason we get through that is because today we are, you, you are alive in one of the most interesting times in financial history. Um, and you either going to be um, allowing other institutions to speculate for you, or you're going to have to take control of your own speculation. Uh, but we live in a speculative economy. Um, and so, you know, this is going to be really rough for some, really great for other. Um, and I think people should really educate themselves to try and get on the right side of these trends um, through podcasts like this um, and uh, just making sure that they're really, you know, trying to take these different bits of information and and act accordingly. As it was said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new uh, under the sun. All right, I will leave all of your links uh, in the description, your, your book, your YouTube channel, uh, Bank to the Future. Um, and I really do urge listeners, as well as your Twitter, which is uh, fantastic. And I do urge listeners to check out Simon Dixon all of his work and material and check out Bank of the Future. Um, a lot of it has confirmed my own analysis of where we are and where we're going. And so thanks for being on Geopolitics and Empire. Okay, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview. I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review 
on your favorite podcast platform such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.